morning, WordServe. I think most of you know me. My name is Pastor Bill. If I don't know you, I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'm excited today because we're starting a new sermon series. And there was much rejoicing. All right. It's called Turn Your Eyes because it's that time of year. I don't know if you've heard about this thing called Easter. It's kind of a big deal around here. But it is the whole reason that we do what we do and we believe what we believe. If it weren't for Easter, Jesus would have been just another great guy, great teacher, good moral person who did great things on the earth. But Easter changes everything. And so it's time that we start preparing for that by turning our eyes and looking to that great example. Where are we going in the next three weeks? We're going to watch him make an entrance. We're going to watch him make an example. And then we're going to watch him make an exit. But that's not the end of the story. I hope this isn't a spoiler alert. He comes back. It's awesome. You want to be here for that. Invite all your friends. So let me start by asking you a question this morning. And here's the choice. Would you rather be famous or influential? Let me say that one more time. Would you rather be famous or influential? Uh, and you don't have to answer. I appreciate that. <laughs> this is my, my point where I usually say yeah, audience participation. But, but what we say, what we answer to that question says a lot about who we are and, and what we think. Because here's the thing. When you're famous, everybody knows who you are. But what happens when you're gone? It's just something that you remember maybe from a long time ago. But if you're influential, I don't think you ever really die. And I'm not talking, I'm not trying to be Jesus here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we're going to take his place. But if you influence and then your children influence and then their children influence, that lives on. That's something that, that is truly remarkable. And so I want to look at the difference between being famous and being influential. Now, you can be both. That is possible. But if I had to pick one, I think I'd pick influential. I want to give you an example to start with. Uh, everybody knows who Charlie Boffman is, right? Oh, come on. Does that help? Yeah? Everybody knows Charlie Boffman now? No? No? Oh, oh come on. So here's my point. Nobody knows who Charlie Boffman is, and that's okay. Charlie Boffman was my scoutmaster when I was a kid growing up. You don't know his name, and that's not me. I'm not that old. Come on. <laughs> but Charlie Boffman was my, my scout leader growing up, and nobody knows his name. He's not famous. Uh, he's not in the annals of Boy Scout history. But he had an amazing focus. And that focus was to take boys and make men of character. He was mostly successful. He missed on me. But for everybody else, he was very successful. And he did this for years. He had two boys that were about um, in between my two brothers. So we were blessed to have all three of us, my, my brothers and I, go through that scout troop with him as a scoutmaster. He was singularly focused. Now, he didn't really have any advanced training or advanced degrees. He was uh, an electrician by trade. Uh, he had served some time in the Navy as an enlisted guy, and yet he had this passion. And it showed because consistently, it wasn't like he showed up and had one good day and then he was good for six weeks. Every week he showed up and he brought something. Now, I, I don't know how scouts worked in these days necessarily, but we generally would show up. They would send us outside to burn off some energy, which generally turned into a huge WrestleMania, whatever. Uh, then we would come in. We would work on merit badges. But my, the thing that I always remember, none of that. I don't remember any of that. What I remember is that the 10 minutes before we left, we gathered in a circle. 
And he always had, I would call it like a devotional, had some thought. And even as a kid, I remember thinking, wow, that's deep. Yeah, or I want to be like that. But here's the thing that I mostly remember. I don't really remember what he said. I couldn't repeat one of these devotionals for you on demand. I just remember it was consistently his character that showed up. In other words, his actions spoke louder than his words, and his actions were guided by one singular focus, to make men of character. He was really good at it. So I'm not surprised that you don't know him. He's not famous. But what I'm also not surprised about is how many people he influenced and how that influence carries on today. I wonder in your life, do you have someone like that? Do you have someone that's been influential, that has changed the course of your life? Uh, maybe it's, uh, I pull up this picture thinking, oh, this is a great picture of a mentor and a kid. And then I realize that's the princess, right? Am I wrong? Isn't that Princess Kate, right? Okay, nobody follows the royal family. That's good. They're famous and influential. You may have heard of them. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I hope that there has been someone in your life that has done that. And if not, I hope this is maybe a call for you to consider becoming that person in someone's life. If you look at the life of a Charlie Boffman, you don't have to have an advanced degree. You don't have to have some super-duper title. You just have to have a singular focus with a passion and a purpose. I wonder if you know anybody like that. There's this guy I want to tell you about this morning. He was singular in his focus, and he had passion. He was famous, but I think the bigger thing that we can take away is he was influential. If I had been a disciple, you know, we, we always say this, if I had been there, if I had been a disciple, oh, things would have been so much different. I never would have betrayed him. I never would have left him that night. I bet I would have. But what I would have also experienced was three years of just being around him. Now, whether you could quote him or not, you saw him at work, and it was consistent, and it was a single focus, and that focus was to save the world. We wouldn't be here today if he had strayed from that single focus. And so if we are going to be followers of Jesus, it's probably worth us taking a look at what was that singular focus and how can we contribute to that same singular focus. Now, I want to take a little heat off of you today. Uh, we don't have to save the world. That's been done. But what we do have a charge for is to share with the world what he has done. Now, I just told you earlier in the announcements, this isn't as hard as we make it. So I don't want anybody's blood pressure going up. The whole bill's going to make me go talk to 10 people and hand out tracts at Walmart. If that's what you want to do, knock yourself out. But what I am going to encourage you to do is to singularly focus and to live a life that is different. How do we do that? Let's take a look at what Jesus does as he makes an entrance. Now, in this particular uh, segment, he's coming into Jerusalem. And that sounds like a very festive atmosphere. You can tell by the palms and the hosannas and the laying the cloaks down. This is a, a huge parade. This is a victory. But Jesus didn't see it that way. In fact, if you read just a little bit before that whole reading in circles thing, you'll see that as he approaches Jerusalem, what's his emotion? Anybody know? He weeps. It's like, oh, that looks like a party. Why are you sad? And he weeps because he knows what's about to happen, that he's about to offer this tremendous gift and people are going to reject it. He's going to be crucified and killed and mocked. 
He knows this. If that were me and I knew that at that point, I would probably be doing the old U-turn exit stage left. But Jesus says, no, I'm in. Singular focus to a mission. And because of that, we have gotten a tremendous gift. So let's take a look at his triumphal entry, as it's called, and let's pick apart some things that I want to take with us today. I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 19, if you want to play the home game. And I'm going to ask my tech friends to advance the slides because I cannot read and click at the same time. This is what the Word of God says. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Let's unpack a little bit about what's going on there. Because as we look at this man of singular focus, he's faced with a whole bunch of distractions to that singular focus right here in this passage. And I want to pick apart. I want you to, to watch for these three uh, focuses. We're going to start with the first one, this distraction to a singular purpose. Praise. That's the first distraction. Now, we don't have a, a similar, well, we kind of do. Like when a team were, wins the Super Bowl or the World Series and you have the big hometown parade and people are doing the ticker tape parade, that's probably the closest thing we have to this. But this is even deeper because this is a people in persecution. They are tired of Roman rule, and rightfully so, because the Romans were not gentle, benevolent rulers. They could kind of crush a rebellion like nobody's business. They uh, put people in charge that did their bidding and maybe not in the best interests of Israel. And that's what the situation is. They're, they aren't quite in slavery, but they aren't quite free either. And they're tired of Roman occupation. So when they see this person coming, this is their approach. Imagine the, the palm branch. Now to us, we just say, oh, well, that's probably what they had available. It's actually kind of a nationalistic symbol. It would be the equivalent of, no pun intended, but if the British were here, sorry, uh, and we took American flags and started waving them, right? <laughs> like, come to the 4th of July, seriously, right? I mean, didn't we? No, anyway. So that's kind of, I didn't mean to pick on you guys. Right? <laughs> but that's kind of the, 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 the message that they would have gotten, like, ooh, this is, this is something that's unique to their culture, and there's something going on here. Now, when you... Uh, Throw cloaks down on the road. That, that is a very clear symbol that you're expecting royalty to come 
You don't just waste a good cloak. I mean, it's not like I got a closet full. You got one or two, maybe, and you're going to throw it down for a donkey to walk on? This must be somebody pretty important. And so this, this message begins to come out, the, the cries of Hosanna. All this is saying, hey, here's something special happening. And don't forget that he had just come when, after he said this. Well, what did he say before? What did he do before? He had just risen, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. So imagine being in this culture, tired of Roman occupation, not free but not slaves. And this person who has gotten fame just raised somebody from the dead and is headed to the city of David where he's riding on a donkey and fulfilling prophecy. Wouldn't you be excited too? Wouldn't you throw your cloak on the road? This is pretty easy stuff to go to Jesus' head, and it gets better. One of the most common things that they would say as people came to pilgrimage in Jerusalem was, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so it's not uncommon as people come in for the high holy days that you would hear cries of, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that's not what they're saying. Did you catch it? They changed the words just for Jesus. Let me read it to you. This is out of the Bible. I'm not making this up. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I didn't say that for just anybody. I said that for Jesus. Right in the face of Roman occupation who said, there is no king but Caesar. King of kings and Lord of lords is Caesar. You think that might be a little high praise? A little uh, inflammatory, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. But they didn't care because this is the man and he's coming in. Now, you may be thinking, why the cult? I mean, if you're going to impress people, if you're, if you're trying to impress the Romans, who, uh, when they did these things, by the way, it was usually in celebration of a huge victory in war. And when their generals came in, by the way, handy piece of news here, uh, when they brought good news of a victory, guess what they called that? The gospel. So good news, victory. And when they came in, the, the general would ride up in front, and he would ride on the most impressive war horse they could find as a symbol of power and might. And they would recount the great deeds that had been done and the battles won, and the prisoners would be dragged in behind to show just how powerful they were. And here comes Jesus on a donkey. What the heck? You know, and I love the way that it says this here. Hey, just go into town. Uh, there's a donkey. He's never been ridden. Just untie it. Anybody ask, just say, I need it. Now, can you imagine being in your living room going, why is somebody taking my car? Hey, what, what are you doing? And the little car alarm's going off. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting to see if you'd connect that. No, that's good. You guys are good. You had the caffeine this morning. And, and he just says, oh, the Lord needs it. And they're like, okay. Like, that just doesn't happen, right? Why the donkey? This is not accidental. This is fulfilling a prophecy. And if you really want to look at, is Jesus the Son of God sometime? Go back and look at all the prophecies that he fulfills in his lifetime, and this is one of them. Yes, a donkey riding in Jerusalem is in prophecy. And it's significant because it tells us who Jesus really is, not who we want him to be. Let me say that one more time from their perspective. It should have told them who Jesus was and what his mission was. And it wasn't to overthrow the Romans by force. It wasn't to take this world by storm. It was something much more far-reaching, maybe much more subtle. 
but definitely much more lasting. Let me read from Zechariah 9.9. This is the prophecy that is being fulfilled in this donkey. And then I'm going to read just a little bit more to tell you why Jesus isn't who he thought, uh, they thought he was. Zechariah 9.9. This is the prophet speaking, the God speaking to the prophet. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, lowly riding on a donkey, on a colt, a colt the foal of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He knows this. And every good Jewish person that knows scripture knows this. Why the donkey? I'm going to keep reading. This is God speaking through the prophet. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus comes to bring peace, not war. Jesus comes to restore, not to destroy. Jesus is singly focused on this mission, to restore and bring peace. That's why he's doing everything that he's doing. It's all a part of God's plan. But if he had listened to that praise, if he had said, yeah, I am the man, that's right, I'm riding on a donkey, and I'm taking over Jerusalem, here I go, he could have done it. Uh, he, he was uh, masterful enough. He had the crowd's enthusiasm. He could have whipped them up. He could have gotten uh, alliances with some of the people who were a little more um, vigorous about what they wanted to do to the Romans. He probably could have done that. Thank God he didn't because that would have been a temporal kingdom, a temporary thing that would have passed. That's not Jesus' style. And thank God it's not his style. So he doesn't let the praise get to his head. And, and if you think back, he's already been through this test before. When Satan takes him into the wilderness right before he started his ministry and said, look, I will give you all these kingdoms. He says, I'm good. No thanks. Got a bigger plan to bring peace and restoration, not just to this kingdom, but to the entire world. Jesus has a singular focus and purpose. He's not distracted by praise. He's also not distracted by the crowd's support. How many times have you gone through, uh, especially if you're in a leadership position or a position of influence, and you kind of get that feeling that there's an expectation from the people that you're serving that you should be doing this or you should be doing that, and so you do that, even though it's against your better judgment or maybe you know, in some cases, heaven forbid, against your principles. Jesus doesn't bow down to these expectations, and they were very clear what they expected. They expected him to come in and overthrow the Romans. Hence all the stuff that we just talked about, palm branches, hosannas, cloaks on the road, all of that. That was their expectation. Jesus didn't bow down to their expectations, even though he knew that the same ones who said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, just a short week later would say, we have no king but Caesar. The same voices that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, would be shouting, crucify him in the space of one week. He knew this. But he didn't change because he didn't want to disappoint the people. He had a singular focus on a singular mission. Then the last thing to, that could have distracted him but did not was fear. Did you hear the Pharisees? They, they caught the fear first. 
Jesus, man, you need to tone it down. Tell your people to stop shouting. The Romans are going to notice. Have you seen what they do to people who stir up unrest? They're going to come and crush you and us. We might lose our jobs. If we can't control you, they will take us out of power. Tell your disciples to be silent. And what's Jesus' answer? Oh, you're right. I didn't think about that. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's not in here. What's in here is, eh, I could tell them that, but hey, even the stones are going to cry out. You can't stop this. I actually thought about titling the sermon, Can't Stop This. Yeah, but I didn't, fortunately for all of us. <laughs> you can't stop this. Even the stones are going to cry out. Jesus wasn't afraid. But he had reason to be. I mean, it, just before this too, again, reading in circle in Bibles, did Jesus know what he was facing when in Jerusalem? Absolutely he did. He tells his disciples before he goes there, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be flocked. I'm going to be put to death by Gentiles. But on the third day, I'll be back. Right? This is movie day or music. I don't know what. <laughs> you decide. He tells them this. He knows. He has a reason to be afraid, but he goes ahead because he has a singular focus on a singular mission. Now, lest you think that this is some boring thing that doesn't apply to you, just pause for just a minute and think, what was the singular mission that he had? The singular focus that he had. It's you and me. He knew about us even as he knew about all the stuff that was about to happen. He could have seen the cross. He, he saw the, the, the suffering and the pain and the mockery and everything else. He saw all of that, but he also saw beyond that because he tells his disciples, on the third day, I will come back. He saw a day where people would be sitting in WordServe Church hearing this story, hearing about this singular focus. He saw this. Actually, let me rephrase that. <laughs> he sees this. He's our living hope, not our formerly really nice guy that didn't make anybody mad, Savior. Singular focus, and that's us. So what do we learn from this? What can we do? Well, I think it's time, word serve, that we made the main thing the main thing. What do I mean by that? I, I, I heard an interesting statistic. They said uh, they interviewed several pastors of larger churches in North America, and they ask him, what is your measure of success? And the top categories were, how many people are in the seats? How much giving? It gets better. How much square footage in our building? You think Jesus cared about any of that? <laughs> Jesus cared about changed lives. That's why in the Great Commission, he didn't say, go and make 7,000 square foot campuses with multi-sites and technology that will take my message around the world. No, he said, go and what? Make disciples. That's the main thing. Let's make the main thing the main thing. Then let's be about making disciples. Now, how do I do that? Well, <laughs> don't get distracted. That would be my first, first uh, comment. There are a lot of things clamoring for your time, talent, and treasure. How many of them could be making disciples. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying you have to stop everything that you're doing, shave your head, go to a monastery or a nunnery, and eat nothing but bread and water, and pray 24-7, because that's not what Jesus said either. 
When he says go and make disciples, that Greek word for go is as you go. We've talked about this before a little bit. We, we hear go and make disciples and we think, oh, he's talking about that, that missionary that's going to go around the world. So the heat's off me. That's the missionary. No, that go in Greek means as you go about your day, about your life, and in your world, make disciples. Live that life that is different with a singular focus, not to save the world, but to tell people about Christ, to establish that relationship that might help establish this relationship. Is this sounding familiar? I'm a one-trick pony, folks. This is all I got. Let's make disciples. I could say that every, every Sunday, and <clears throat> you say, Bill, why do you keep saying that? Well, until everybody in this earth is made a disciple, then we've still got good job security, right? There's something for us to do. Why, why does this matter? Why do we need to worry about this? Well, <clears throat> consider this. Jesus already did the work of saving the world. But I love what Romans says, what Paul says in Romans. This is uh, chapter 10, 14, and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, now, you're going to read that, and you're going to go, oh, the heat's off me because it's all about preachers. All I got to do is say, turn on this preacher on this TV, or I got to forward the, the YouTube or Facebook. I started to say FaceTube. That's not right. Facebook or YouTube. And it's all on the preacher. Actually, it's not. And here's why. It's not just on preachers. Yeah, preachers have a tremendous responsibility. I feel it every day. But you can reach people that I can never reach. You have these relationships that I don't have. I can't be everywhere. I don't want to be everywhere. You don't want me everywhere, right? You know people. As you go about your day, you have contact with people that I will never have contact with. And I'm not asking you to preach a beautiful sermon every day. I'm not asking you to have three points of joke in a song. All I'm asking us to do, word serve, is have a singular focus. And it starts with us because we can't make disciples if we're not one. So let's begin here. Let's promise right now, word serve, to add together as a community, we are going to be a disciple of Christ. That's number one. I heard it said this way once. If you're not a disciple and you're trying to make disciples, you're like a, a tour agent trying to sell tickets to a destination that you've never been. Can you do it? Yeah, but do you really understand what you're doing? Is there any passion to what you're doing? Like I'm going to sell you this great ticket to this place that I've never been. Well, what's it like? I don't know. It's, it's supposed to be good. That's what I've heard. That's not going to inspire anybody. That doesn't even inspire yourself, let's be honest. But if you have that relationship with Christ, if you have seen your life changed, then you can tell people about that. And let me give you this encouragement. Maybe you haven't seen your life changed. Maybe you haven't seen Christ in that way. It's not too late. That's the way that he works. Or, or maybe you've seen it in the past and it doesn't seem to be there anymore. For whatever reason, that life circumstances, your health, your relationship, something has gotten in the way of that. He's not the God of the former things. He is our living hope, and that is still available today. It is not too late. It is never too late. 
You cannot beat the one who cannot die. You can't beat the one who always comes back for one more round. It's not too late. It's never too late. Not when Jesus is involved. Those beautiful feet that take the good news out, that's us. Because as you go out of here and you go, go about your day with people that I don't know and I will never have contact with, you are that representative. Now, I hope that that does two things for you. I hope it gives you a sense of excitement. I've got some good news to share. And I hope that puts a little bit of twinge of, ooh, this is important. I don't want to mess this up. How do you not mess it up? Get out of the way. Let Jesus work through you. He's more than capable, I promise you. He knows exactly what he needs you to do. He's not shy about telling you. He's not shy about giving you guidance. He's also not shy about putting people in your path that you may think, why do I have to deal with this person? They're so difficult. And if you don't have someone in your life that's like that, guess what? You're the difficult one. <laughs> Sometimes these challenges that God places in our way are the best opportunities to spread the good news on beautiful feet. Those feet are ours, Lord, sir. The message is his. The salvation is his. But those feet are ours. The last thing I want to point out is don't let those distractions distract you from our main singular focus. Don't let the, the praise of, oh, WordServe is an awesome church or well, WordServe does all these projects. Yes, we do. But that's not all. That's not what we mainly want to be known for. If there's one thing that I would want WordServe to be known for, guess what it is? Making disciples, right? Like I said, I'm a one-trick pony. I'm not very clever. I'm not very broad. I'm just a one singular focus. That's what I want to be. So don't let praise go to our head. Don't let the expectations of your friends stop you from sharing this good news. Oh, they, they expect me to be cool. They expect me to be in the culture and do what everybody else in this culture does. Jesus is countercultural. I don't know if you're aware of that. He's always bucked the system because the system is fallen. And that's the important thing to remember. So don't let the expectations of your friends, of your peer group, stop the good news from being shared. Uh, that makes me afraid. I get it. I get it. We don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to be looked at as those Jesus freaks. We don't want to not be invited to the party or not get that promotion because we talk about Jesus. Now, I understand that there are some limitations because of legalities. I understand that in some jobs you can't just come out and say Jesus because there are laws. I think those laws are wrong, but they're there. I appreciate that. But that doesn't mean that you can't let Jesus work through you. That doesn't mean that you can't act like Jesus. They can't control your actions. They can only control your words. And they can't really control your words, if you think about it. Don't let fear stop good news. I mean, when you think about it, we have a lot less to be afraid of than Jesus did. I don't see anybody lining up to crucify me. Well, <laughs> that I know of. If I announce that service change time, there might be, but that's <laughs> not right now, right? <laughs> Don't let fear drive us. And this is one of the things that I always go back to in my, in my personal life, and, and this is one that you might want to read the entire psalm because it's a good one. But I just wanted to highlight verse 1 of Psalm 27 because it says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
Now think about that. I don't need anybody else's praise. I don't need anybody's adoration. I don't need anybody else's acceptance because the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And he goes on. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You want something to hold on to when things get crazy? You want something that anchors you in a world that has gone mad? Try this Lord, who is the stronghold, who is the foundation. If you have that, of whom shall you be afraid? Answer, no one. That's powerful stuff, folks. And that is good news that we have. So I pray that we would be people of singular purpose and that maybe uh, we might even start with a thing called these spiritual questions. You can find them on our website. You can find them on social media. I want to empower you to be beautiful feet that take good news. And here's the cool thing about the society that we live in. They can be literal feet. You can walk across to those neighbors, to the people you work with, to your family, to your neighborhood, uh, at your job, whatever. And you can ask some of these spiritual questions because there's no law that says you can't say, hey, what gives you the strength to keep going day to day? It's not against any law. And there starts the spiritual conversation. But here's the beauty of the technology that we have today. Those feet can be beautiful on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email, YouTube. Get the idea? You can share these questions as someone already has, thanks, Matt, for sharing on Facebook. And I got some answers already because of Facebook. People are probably much more willing <coughs> excuse me, to sit down and type a response or maybe write a response and send it back on email. And there begins the spiritual conversation. See, your beautiful feet have already established a communications relationship. And there opens the door for Christ to do what Christ does. It's a beautiful thing on beautiful feet. I don't know if people will remember your name. I mean, you didn't know Charlie Boffman. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but here's the thing. It doesn't matter if they remember my name or your name. It only, remember, it only matters if they remember the name of Jesus Christ. That's the one that they're going to be accountable to one day. That's the one who changes lives. And I'm not talking just about eternity, which, by the way, is a tremendous prize. I'm talking about here and now. I'm talking about peace that passes understanding. I'm talking about a stronghold on which we can stand and never be moved. I'm talking about a singular focus on becoming more like Christ. And I don't know or care if they'll remember my name. It doesn't matter. So my question this morning, word serve, people of beautiful feet with good news who go about your day and make disciples. Do you want to be famous or do you want to be influential? I pray that we would be influencers for Christ. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was both famous and influential. But more so, I'm so thankful that he didn't choose to just be famous because he could have. He could have abandoned the mission. He could have had very temporary rewards. He could have had fame, power, glory, all of that. But he set that aside because of his great love for us. 
And I pray that you would open our eyes to see that great love, that great sacrifice that he made. I pray that that would be our motive in everything that we do, not to repay out of a sense of guilt, but just to appreciate for one moment how much we are loved and how much the creator of the universe wanted us to be a part of that family, that he would give a son to die for us. God, if there is anyone here this morning who is hurting, who is lonely, who is depressed, who is feeling separated, who is feeling lonely, I pray that you would bring them that sense of belonging, that sense of peace that passes understanding, that sense of a stronghold that will never let us go, never forsake us and never leave us. God, help us to rest in that presence this morning. Help us to be people that carry the good news on beautiful feet, the good news. That